Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Yeah, so I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants because I don't really have an intro today, but we will see how this goes because I was going to make this my premiere episode to season two and I decided not to. So you get to listen to it early. Yay. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Deb. And I'm Shelby. And this is episode 51 of Dying to be Found, True Crime Podcast. Shelves, I don't have a ton to talk about today regarding the podcast, but I did want to see how your week's going. I know we haven't talked in, again, it just seems like forever. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a a great day to sit on the couch and do nothing, but I was productive this weekend, so I'm pretty happy. Good. I went to Atlanta for a conference. Probably picked the worst time in, in the world to do that because if anybody's been following the news we have a little bit of a protest going on downtown and oh goodness that was like lockdown central down there this week we still had fun though wow well that's good well this would be a good time to tell our listeners to send in requests for season two tell us what you want to hear let us know what you think of the new dash series coming up we're putting that together every wednesday you can click on the linktree account in our show notes and you'll see all of our contacts now i've got more information on our social media if you've been following us and i want to say this shelby i I got a really cool email from somebody i'm going to apologize in advance because i cannot find that email i don't know if it was a message on instagram or if it was an email but i actually had a true crime author contact me who wants to be highlighted on the dash wow so if you're listening will you please send me another email because i have looked everywhere for that and i see that i have not responded to you so in the meantime yeah absolutely i think it's kind of cool to get a diverse group of people together and just do a little dash of this a little dash of that yeah if you are a true crime podcaster or want to be featured on my true crime podcast then definitely send me an email absolutely that's so cool mom you didn't tell me that oh yeah yeah just follow the socials and you'll see um i actually put out a little reel and i'm getting really good at that too all this videoing and things like that i learned tiktok so now i'm in the know on that and yeah i'm, I'm getting there Woo-hoo! <laughs> i may be a little old school but yeah i learned tiktok i'm proud of me i'm proud of you Thanks. Well, today, Shelbs, we're going to go back to Washington where I was just, I don't know, a couple months ago. Had the best time there. If I ever had an opportunity to live there, I know it's probably rated one of the highest crime rated cities in the U.S. So for that reason, I wouldn't want to move there. But I sure do love the history. Do you know what I learned about Washington, D.C.? What? So I work in finance and I'm, you know, been working on all of these SEC. ADV uh, form information for a lot of clients. And I had come across one who had a few clients in Washington, D.C. And one of the requirements for the SEC is to know how many households you have on a per state basis within the United States. And I learned that Washington, D.C. is not a state that its own district. You mean the District of Columbia? It is, but it's you still have to separate those clients. Oh, 
So they're not considered a part of Maryland, not a part of Virginia, but it's not its own state, but you still have to uh, report those clients completely separate. Okay. But I, I didn't know that. I thought that was really interesting. I even had to ask my advisor. I was like, this is a silly question. <laughs> so where do you assign them to? If, if I mean, are you assigning them to Washington, D.C.? To Washington, D.C. I had them separated out. I said, I don't, I, I've not come across this, to be honest. I feel like this is a silly question. Please tell me if I did this correctly. <laughs> and he said, nope, that was perfect. Yeah, that's good. You got a new wrinkle in your brain. Every time you learn something new, you get a new wrinkle in your brain. Awesome. All right. Well, we are going back to Washington, D.C. And today I'm going to tell you the story about 24-year-old Chandra Ann Levi. Chandra was born in Cleveland, Ohio on April 14th, 1977 to Robert and Susan Levi. She had one brother growing up in the house with her, and after graduation, Chandra went on to earn a bachelor's degree in journalism. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. She also went on to earn a master's degree in public administration and was on her final semester when she was required to work an internship to finish out her program. So it's sort of like when people become teachers, you have to do student teaching before you can actually get that degree. So she had a Uh, an internship that she had found. She was on her way to Washington from California and she did earn a paid internship in Washington where she would work through the following summer with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. After her internship was over, Chandra planned to return back to California so that she could graduate from the University of Southern California. Now, Chandra and her parents visited D.C. before she made this move. That way they could scout for apartments. And by mid-September of 2000, Chandra arrived in D.C. ready to begin work. How exciting for her. That is exciting. On April 23rd, 2001, Chandra had finished that internship with the Federal Bureau of Prisons and was pretty much wrapping things up in Washington, D.C. When you do internships like this, Shelbs, they don't go for a long period of time. I think five or six months is pretty standard. That makes sense. Yeah. On April 28th, Chandra contacted her landlord, left a message to tell them that she would be returning to California somewhere between May 5th and 6th in time for her graduation. So she was trying to make her way back to California. She would be graduating on May 11th. So she was just trying to close things up May 5th and 6th, get everything out of the apartment, and then, of course, jump on a plane or a train or however she was planning on getting there. Now, she went to cancel a gym membership and was last seen leaving the Washington Sports Club somewhere around 7 p.m. on May 1st. And this would be that timeline just before she was trying to really close things up. Chandra kept in regular contact with her parents while she lived in D.C. and even sent them an email to update them about her plans to return to California. But on May 1st, 2001, Chandra simply disappeared and her parents never heard from her again. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, I think it would be, especially if it sounds to me like she's a lot like you and me, Shelby. We talk almost every day. And so if I didn't hear from you, you know, I'd be worried worried. Absolutely. I know. I get those texts every now and then. Oh yeah, I sure will. You better be picking up that phone. I don't need to be calling the uh, (laughs) non-emergency number at your local police station to go check on you. (laughs) 
Both Chandra's landlord and mother attempted to call Chandra for several days, but never got an answer. By May 6, 2001, Chandra's mother did contact police to say that she had not heard from her daughter in five days, which was very, very unusual. It's a long time. It is. I mean, I guess, you know, they talk and they're in constant contact. Five days is a long time. Yeah, that's a good question because it is a long time. And I know that when you and I do go spurts where we don't talk, we at least text each other or literally we'll talk for even one minute just to say, I am so slammed this week. Last week, I, w- I think I was there. You have quarter end thing to do with your company that you work for. Yes. Me, I've had these conferences set up. Even if we don't talk, gosh, what, for the usual 30 minutes to an hour? I still know what's going on and where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so here's where things get a little strange. Around 4.30 a.m. on May 1st, 2001, one of Chandra's neighbors called 911 to report a woman screaming from somewhere in the apartment complex. Of course, police came by, they cruised the complex, obviously could not find the source of this screaming. That has got to be terrifying. I'm sure. Did they have cameras? Uh, Yeah, they actually did. And they were functional too. So with the delay between the 911 call and Chandra's mother calling the DC police to report her missing five days later, that was when police obtained a search warrant to look at the apartment complex camera footage. Shelby, this has got to be a mother's worst nightmare. The surveillance had already looped and recorded anything that may have been captured on May 1st at that 4.30 hour. Oh, no. Yeah, the the cameras were functional, but they did that loop and they can only record for so long before they tape over it. So they had nothing. Wow. Well, police went to Chandra's apartment where they saw that she had left her driver's license and credit cards, checkbook, jewelry, and cell phone inside the apartment shelves. Something I did not mention is that Chandra had told family members back in November, that was shortly after she arrived in D.C., that she had a secret friend, implying, of course, that she had a boyfriend. Oh. I mean, you know, she comes to town in September, two months later. I mean, I would say if you're in your 20s, it wouldn't be unheard of to get a boyfriend pretty quickly, right? No, not at all. This boyfriend, Shelby, turned out to be a congressman. And he was questioned later, but released of any wrongdoing here. So I'm not going to really harp on him very much. I do remember when this story broke out and there was a really huge scandal. And I'm going to kind of leave his name out of it because the police never really pursued him as a suspect. And I'm pretty sure that he cleared himself rather quickly. He voluntarily took a lie detector test and passed. And so that's that. I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on him. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, police searched Chandra's apartment complex, nearby parks, and along the Anacostia and Potomac rivers that run right through the area that Chandra had disappeared. There were a few errors in police efforts that some feel could have interfered with a timely response to Chandra's whereabouts because during one of the searches police conducted at Chandra's apartment, one of the detectives accidentally erased the search history on her laptop. Oh, what? Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. Yep. Oops. 
I pressed the wrong button. Sorry, can we get that back? My bad. <laughs> Was he new? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. I guess my question is, is why was he even looking at that computer to begin with? Shouldn't they have bagged and tagged it and sent it off to a techie to look into that? Why was he touching the computer? And it's a multi-step process. Like, you don't just accidentally press one button. That is so true. Yeah. How many clicks does it take to get to the history? I can tell you. I'm doing it right now. Five. It would take five or six. Like you actually, well, I guess it could be different. I don't know how long Google Chrome's been around, but it would take five for me to clear just the last hour an extra two clicks to clear all time. So we'll say like seven clicks. Yeah. And so you have a, it's a methodical process because you really have to look to see where you're clicking. Like when I clock in in the mornings on my computer, uh, yeah, I count things. It's weird, but I, I know it takes 10 clicks for me to clock in. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. I have to open up certain programs and then click to go somewhere else within that program. And then finally, by the time I clock in, it's been 10 clicks. Wow. Well, police were able to retrieve Shander's search history, but it took about a month for the forensic technician to retrieve that information. I know that's pretty cool. And, you know, John works on computers for a living and everything in the hard drive stays in the hard drive. It's kind of like what goes on the internet stays on the internet. Same thing with your computer. It lives in your computer, whether you think you deleted it or not. So at least they were able. I was just going to say, I know John's helped you out with some of those papers that you accidentally didn't save. Oh, it wasn't <laughs> just my paper, Shelby. It was my dissertation. I know to save and save often, and I was not using a cloud service, but oh my God, I almost had a heart attack. I don't even know how far along I was. Enough to say that I was crying trying to get that back, and John was able to get that back. Thank <laughs> God. John, you are a savior. I love you. <laughs> Well, the information that authorities were able to recover off of Chandra's laptop showed that she had conducted a search on a historical building located in Rock Creek Park and may have wanted to go there for a visit or possibly a jog because she was very active. And that might have been why she kept her wallet and her ID, car keys and everything else behind in her apartment. I know, Shelby, when I leave the house and I go for walks, I leave all that behind. And I know I shouldn't. I need to at least carry an ID with me. Oh, that's a good idea. If I'm walking along with headphones on, yeah, if somebody wants to bonk me on the back of the head, I should at least have my ID on, right? That makes sense. I never would have thought of that. Mm -hmm. Besides the police erasing the search history, they were also required to search within 100 yards of all roads and trails of the areas that appeared in Chandra's search history. So basically, if she was going to go look at that historical house on the park property, they would have to at least search within 100 yards of that house. Rock Creek Park was one of the searches that they were able to retrieve from Chandra's laptop, which was a local park known for lots of joggers and hikers. So lots of outdoors people. However, there was a miscommunication between the police and search teams. So only the roads were searched, but the trails were not. 
Wow. Again, how in the world would that happen? I don't know. You would think common sense would be to look on the trails, people. Exactly. You would think. Bloodhounds were brought in and also used on this search, but they were never able to pick up a a proper scent. Oh, while you were saying that, I was looking up my search history just to see what, if I went missing, what would be found. And some of these are are pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) Are they memes? No. Just give us one. Why does my dog keep stealing my shoes? (laughs) Yeah, I remember you telling me that your dog likes your shoes. Only one of them though, right? Just one shoe? Well, she's opted for either now. It was the left. (laughs) Now Now she doesn't care. That's funny. All right. One year later, Shelby, on May 22nd, 2002, Chandra Ann Levi was discovered by either a hiker or a jogger in that Rock Creek Park. I've seen it both ways. There were stories saying that somebody was jogging, somebody was hiking, and the jogger was on one of those trails inside the park when he happened upon a human skull. Wow. After investigators arrived, they began to search the trail and discovered a Walkman. You know what a Walkman was. I believe you had one, didn't you? I did. Oh, no, I did. I think I did. No, you had a, what was that, little iPod? Is is that what it was called? Yeah, that's what it was called, the iPod. Okay, so a Walkman is probably the size of a compact disc because you actually open it up and put a compact disc inside of it. Yeah. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's how we used to have to play CDs in the car. You remember where it had the cassette that you stuck into the cassette player, but you put the CD in the Walkman? Yeah, Yeah, we had one of those. I know what it is. Okay, so they found one of those. They also found a pair of sneakers and a University of Southern California shirt nearby the skeletal remains. And remember, I told you that's where Chandra was going to graduate from. Police later identified these remains as Chandra Levi through dental records. And I'm going to add that investigators searched at least half the park the year before, but the area that she was found, Shelby, that was not where they had covered at all. I don't understand why they wouldn't have covered the entire park. I guess because they were only required to go 100 yards from her search history. Oh, I'm glad she was found. Yeah. Chandra's death could not be determined since so much time had passed, obviously, because she was found, the hiker or jogger just found the human skull. But evidence did suggest damage to the hyoid bone. I'm not sure what that is. It's located in the throat area that suggests that Chandra could have died by strangulation. Yeah. Medical examiners were able to collect DNA from Chandra's remains, but they were not successful in getting a match, including that of the congressman that Chandra was reportedly dating during her stay in Washington, D.C. So no DNA to try to come up with a suspect. According to the Washington Post, new information leaked out from a jailhouse informant that an undocumented immigrant from El Salvador was a documented MS-13 gang member and that he was responsible for Chandra's murder. This suspect was eventually identified as Ingmar Grandique. He had a history of violent attacks inside that park, Shelby, where Chandra disappeared and was currently serving 10 years in prison after being found guilty of assaulting two women in Rock Creek Park where Chandra's body had been found. Wow. Sounds like a pretty good suspect. It does until you hear what I have to say next. 
just like the congressman that Chandra was linked to, Guandic took a polygraph and his results came back as not deceptive. Oh, man. So interesting. That's not what I expected. Yeah, I didn't expect that at all. Right. Chandra's case went cold for another seven years when a new team of investigators examined the case and revisited Guandique's violent history of attacking women in D.C. parks. In March 2009, Guandique was arrested for attempted robbery, kidnapping, and murder of Chandra Levi, even with a lack of physical evidence. Now, Guandique was serving out his 10-year sentence. Authorities searched his cell and found a picture of Chandra. Obviously, Shelbs, this is not enough to convict anybody. He just had a picture. I can imagine if he's being accused of her death, then he might just have like morbid curiosity on what's going on with the case, wouldn't you think? Yeah, that's just really creepy. Well, Guandique had allegedly given a jailhouse confession and told a fellow inmate that he was the one who killed Chandra. Police never collected forensic evidence in Chandra's case, and they did not have any eyewitnesses, nor did they ever find a murder weapon. So they just had that one star witness, the jailhouse informant, way back in 2001. So what are your thoughts, Shelbs? Do you think at this point he's guilty, innocent? He did come across as not deceptive on his polygraph. Right. Or do you think there's enough information? I don't think there's enough information. I think it would be really difficult. I would assume, I mean, he he could just be saying that to give him that reputation in prison, if that makes sense. You know, him saying, oh, I killed somebody to kind of scare, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't really say scare other inmates, but to just give him that reputation. No, that's, that's actually a good word. Yeah. To keep people from bothering him. Right. Exactly. So I don't know. It, I mean, he sounds like a, a very good suspect, but then again, you say he's not, not deceptive, but it's just, it's, it's kind of sick. If he did do it, then it's pretty sick for him to have a picture of her in his cell. Yeah, for sure. Well, Guandique was quickly placed on trial, which was based solely on that circumstantial evidence linked to two women who had disappeared at Rock Creek Park around the same time that Chandra had disappeared. Guandique's defense team argued that their client was simply a scapegoat for any of the botched investigation. But ultimately, Guandique was found guilty by a jury of his peers and was sentenced to 60 years in prison for Chandra's death. Good news, right? They finally caught somebody. He was found guilty. Yeah, good news. Yeah. Well, in May of 2015, the U.S. Court of Appeals overturned Guandique's sentence, and he was presented with an opportunity of receiving a new trial. However, it was during this time that prosecutors moved to dismiss all charges, claiming that they could not provide enough evidence to avoid Guandique getting off without reasonable doubt. So years have gone by. They looked at the evidence once again and they said, yeah, you know what? I don't think we can win this case a second time. So we're just going to drop charges. Okay. So as goes our justice system, Guandique's attorneys filed this motion to dismiss all charges based on evidence that suggested the jailhouse informant made everything up. I don't know why he would do that. 
What? Yeah. Well, guess what? Believe it or not, he was later captured on a seven-hour taped recording by a local actress who began taping him after she had some suspicions of her own from the conversations that they had and the activities that he was involved in. So she just inadvertently taped him, you know, having a conversation on the couch one day. Here, let me just turn this little tape recorder on and let's get some information. The actress first met the jailhouse informant at a motel that they were both living in, sort of one of those extended stay places. And they became friends. The informant confessed to this actress on tape that he was a convicted felon and former gang member and was recently released from prison. So, Shelbs, I'm not sure why a friend would deliberately tape someone, especially for seven hours. I mean, was that seven hours straight? Yeah. That's a really long time. It is. Was it <laughs> seven hours total? I'm not sure. So I guess my question is, is what was she suspicious of? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. On these tape recordings, Shelby, the informant admitted that he had lied to authorities about Guandique's involvement in Chandra Levi's murder. The informant went on to talk about going after other gang members. Now, remember, Guandique was a documented gang member here. Now, remember when I introduced Guandique as the number one suspect, I had mentioned that he was a documented gang member here. So the informant had said he was going after gang members. So I, I guess I can see why he may have stretched the truth a little bit. Basically, the informant's testimony at Guandique's first trial was disproved. Although his testimony back in 2010 did help send an innocent man, or at least this time anyway, Shelby. He may not have been innocent on other charges, but he was probably innocent when it came to Chandra Levi. So the informant did send an innocent man in this case to prison for a murder that he may not have even committed. What do you think of that? That's crazy, but I mean, he already assaulted two other women, so he's still deserve to to be there for a little while mm -hmm. additional factors in guandique's innocence also came into play in regards to chandra's murder now i'm not suggesting that he is a man of character obviously he's not otherwise he wouldn't be sitting behind bars for attacking women in the parks like you had just mentioned <laughs> But his defense team also discovered that the prosecutors who originally tried Guandique for Chandra's murder unlawfully withheld information during his trial that could have potentially helped his defense. Okay, so we're now just reaching a whole new level. The prosecutors are being unethical here and withholding information. Wow. Yep. I wonder why that was. They wanted to win the case. They just wanted their numbers to be one for the prosecutors, nothing for the criminals. Ah. DNA evidence was discovered inside Chandra's apartment, but it could not be positively linked to Guandique nor the congressman. Ultimately, Shelbs, Guandique's defense attorneys were successful in having his conviction overturned, and that's when the retrial was ordered. Wow, that's very interesting. Yep, they were about to retry him. 
I had mentioned that Guandig had initially entered the United States illegally, so he was an undocumented immigrant. Well, in 2016, he was deported back to El Salvador for crossing the border unlawfully and for continuously committing violent crimes while he was in the United States. So they sent him back. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm thinking if he got into the country once, he'll get in again. That's very true. Chandra's mother, Susan, spoke out on July 28th, 2016, stating how shocked she was with the criminal charges against Guandique and how they had been completely dropped. Yeah, that makes sense. As a mother, you know, you sit here and think that you got the guy who took my daughter away and then that's not how it turned out. Absolutely. Susan mentioned how she and her husband were being forced to experience trauma and grief all over again from her, their daughter's murder. Sure, everything's being dug up, dredged up once again. And I mean, all she wants, Shelby, is justice for Chandra. I completely get that. I do too. So I just wanted to wind things down to say that according to CBS News, Chandra and Levi had called her aunt, who had lived in Maryland at the time, and left a voicemail to let her know that she was about to return to California, but wanted to see her because she wanted to share some really big news before she left. Chandra never got that information to her aunt, so to this day it's a mystery on what she wanted to tell her. Oh, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Let me just give you some statistics here. According to A&E, there are 285,000 cold cases still active in the United States. Only one in five of these cases identifies a suspect associated with the case. Only one in 20 of these suspects ever gets arrested and just one in 100 receives a conviction. That is crazy. Yep. So I just couldn't imagine like that's that's somebody's job is to sit there and do cold cases, isn't it? Yeah, I would think that it's a smaller department, though. They wouldn't have the same manpower, especially if it's a cold case, because new cases come along every day. Yeah. Well, that's the story of Chandra in Levi. We would love to receive feedback from our listeners on this storyline and be sure to DM us on Instagram and let us know what you think about this case. What do you think, Shelbs? Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing sharing it with me. I'm glad she was found, but I, I do hope that, you know, they can come back to some closure again and, and know, know who did it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a teachable moment today? I do have a teachable moment. There's not enough information here to know what path Chandra was on the day she disappeared. She left all of her belongings at home. Her apartment was completely undisturbed. She did not tell anyone where she was going. I know most of us are attached to our cell phones these days, but this might be one opportunity we need to keep our cell phones on us. Shelby, cell phones make me crazy sometimes, but truly, you need to keep your cell phone on you. I've personally walked along public walking trails at dusk. I've been hiking in isolated areas all by myself. Whether you are single or not, I think it's really important to tell someone where you're headed, especially if you go out for a jog or power walk. 
So whoever it is that you contact can get a good idea of where you are and how long you're, you're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, Shelby, I used to walk seven miles or 11 kilometers in one day. I was like, Woo, more power to me. I, I had a really good groove going at the time. I, I got my regime down to an exact science of walking specifically for an hour and 20 minutes. And there was one day that I got caught in this rainstorm. I mean, I knew the clouds were getting darker and I could hear the thunder. I was like, okay, just one more road, one more mile. I can do this. I'm almost home. I'll walk home in the in the rain. Well, it wasn't just rain, Shelby. It turned into torrential rain. And thank God your grandmother knew where I was at. So she came looking for me. Wow. I was a drowned rat by the time she found me but she knew what she knew my walking routine and i was thankful that she did i saw her coming i was like oh yes she she found me so my teachable moment is keep the communication lines open because you never know when you need to be rescued and that's my teachable moment that's a good one thank you you are welcome anything else to add shelves nope that's it okay Well, thanks to our listeners for listening to our episode, and we will talk to you next week. Bye! Thanks for listening to Dying to be Found. Before we go, we would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying to be Found. You can access our website, email, social media, and storyline request form by clicking on our Linktree account found in our show notes. If you like our episodes, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash dying to be found, spelled just like you see it on our logo. Feel free to message us on Instagram and let us know how we're doing or if you'd like a sticker. With that, be sure to check us out every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you all next week.